0: WBPH-FM Piscataway. It's the core news for the week of Monday, March 7th. March is uh, is blowing us around pretty good with all this wind, but don't worry. You can shelter briefly under the uh, informational bus station that is the core news. This week, we've got some environmental news for you. A mental health update so you can keep on top of that. How your brain is doing. You'll find out what's going on in the Rutgers zone this week. Get the lowdown on comics and gaming. Hear about some Rutgers activities that you can join your very own self if you want. Learn about this week's music news. And of course, get the entertainment rundown on film and TV.
1: But first, it's time for the local news. Here's Sarah Morrison. Middlesex County Democratic Chairman Joseph Spicuzo resigned today in the face of corruption charges. Spicuzo turned himself into police custody this morning on charges of bribery and a pattern of official misconduct, both second degree offenses. Over his 30 year career as Middlesex County Sheriff, Spicuzo is accused of demanding bribes from those who wanted jobs in the County Sheriff's Office. Special elections will be held in June to replace Spicuzo. For now, Vice Chairwoman Helen Gottlieb will take the reins. Middlesex County is agreeing to pay a sheriff's clerk $75,000 to settle claims that she was subjected to racial and verbal harassment at work. Barbara DeLoach claims that her co-worker made frequent derogatory racial statements since she began working at the office in 2001. She lodged several complaints against her co-worker, but no action or investigation was launched by the county. She continues to work at the office, and the suspect has been reprimanded. This is the third time in three years that Middlesex County had to address accusations like these. A New Jersey appeals court on Friday ruled that ex-Assemblyman Joseph Voss is entitled to back pay and benefits, although he was suspended without pay after he was convicted on corruption charges. The appellate panel ruled that Voss was unlawfully suspended from his post, making him entitled to his $49,000 a year salary from the time he was suspended in November 2010 until today. Voss, who is currently retired, has not commented publicly on his situation. An Edison man is in police custody in connection with a drug-related shooting in New Brunswick. 20-year-old Jihad Davis faces weapons charges after shooting a 21-year-old Rutgers University student in the ankle. New Brunswick police say that the student, who is unnamed, may face drug-related charges. Evidence suggests that the shooting resulted from a botched drug deal. Davis is currently being held in an adult corrections facility in lieu of bail. A 40-year-old man is being indicted for killing a 15-year-old girl 20 years ago. Stephen Parkey Jr. of Edison is charged with murder, felony murder, attempted sexual assault, and weapons charges in the death of New Brunswick girl Nikki Reed. Parkey already has a lengthy rap sheet made up of felony and weapons charges. He was arrested in connection with the murder in August of 2010 after DNA from blood at the scene of the crime was connected to him. Parkey is awaiting his sentence, which could be life without parole. Rutgers University alumni are honoring a professor who was killed 40 years ago with a scholarship fund in her memory. Chemistry professor Jean Wilson Day, who was handicapped and described as a pro-student professor was murdered in her home in 1971. The Class of 1971 alumnus Jim Savage of East Brunswick is heading the scholarship fund. Money will be donated to the university's endowment fund, and the interest earned from that money will be contributed to a scholarship. Savage says that the Class of 1971 has yet to decide whether the scholarship will be rewarded based on merit or financial need. Forty years later... A suspect was never found in day's murder. Tune in every Monday for the latest news from the greater Middlesex County area, Rockers University, and your own backyard with me, Sarah Morrison, on RLC, WVPH-FM in Piscataway, 90.3 The Core. You're listening to
0: The Core News on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm.
2: And this is Nana with the 90.3 The Core eco and environmental news update. We're going to start off with a report on Recyclomania results. And so far, Rutgers University is winning the Gorilla Prize. A few weeks ago, I attended a zero waste management seminar here at the Livingston Student Center. Heading towards zero waste means composting. Okay, so listen up. March 26th at 10 a.m., Rutgers Cooperative Research and Extension is holding a composting workshop at the Earth Center at Davidson Mill Pond Park. That is at forty two Riva Avenue in South Brunswick. To register or to get more info, call this number, seven three two seven four five four one seven zero. And maybe I'll see you there. Now here's hydraulic fracturing factoid time. President Bush signed in 2005 an energy policy bill called by critics of the fracking industry the Halliburton loophole in this bill. The hydraulic fracturing industry is exempt and considers itself exempt from Safe Drinking Water Act that was part of that energy policy bill. Let's now think twice about letting them frack in the Delaware River Basin. The Delaware River Basin Commission has extended the comment period through 5 p.m. April 15th. Do you have an opinion about hydraulic fracturing in the Delaware River Basin? For all info regarding this matter, head over to the Delaware River Basin Commission's website at state.newjersey.us/drbc. By all means, let them hear your voice. Okay, I caught an article in the newspaper yesterday I want to report on this for safety's sake. There is New Jersey legislation pending that would establish prison sentences for drivers that kill or seriously injure someone because they were using their cell phone texting and driving causing an accident and i want to tell you of this story a texting driver hit a motorcycle husband and wife david and linda were on that motorcycle they both lost their legs due to that accident due to that driver texting while driving don't text and drive don't use that cell phone for a call even it's against the law you've got to listen to nana on this one and that's the update for today this is
0: 90.3 the core and you're listening to The Core News, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. This time of year, when it's cold and dim, many people can be affected by seasonal effect disorder, which we heard about previously from Norton. But you may also, you know, be feeling just a little down. How can you know whether you're feeling just some regular midwinter blues or, I don't know, maybe it's depression It could be a lot of things. Well, to find out, you're going to get some basic mental health information from Norton.
3: Hey, Norton here with the first installment of a series about mood disorders. Mood disorders tend to center around two main emotional states, depression and mania depression is fairly common and widely understood basically a sense of deep unhappiness along with hopelessness and a host of other symptoms which i'll get into a bit later mania on the other hand is a little less well known among the public mania is a state of euphoria unchecked glee with seemingly endless reserves of energy just itching to get expended today's report focuses on depression specifically unipolar depression unipolar depression is a set of mood disorders where no mania is present First off, let's figure out what the difference is between clinical depression and a case of the blues. For the most part, it comes down to time and severity. With the blues, you may feel down for a couple of days at most, and feeling down would probably be your worst and only symptom. Not only that, but time with friends and loved ones or engaging in your favorite activities would probably snap you right out of it. With clinical depression, you're going to be feeling down for at least two weeks straight. Not only that, but you'll be suffering in other ways. Mainly, there are five different areas that get hit by depression. Emotions, behavior, motivation, thoughts, and the body. Emotional would seem pretty straightforward, right? You're just really sad and that's it. But it's not. Depression can cause not only feelings of deep sorrow and emptiness, but also result in anxiety, anger, and irritability. This means you might be on edge with a short fuse, and you'll probably be driving away loved ones with your uncontrolled bursts of hostility. You could also draw them away with your extreme, dour state of mind. So there's a social effect at work here, too. Not only do you feel horrible and alone, but your symptoms will alienate you so that your thoughts can back those feelings up. Which moves me into thoughts, or the cognitive effects of depression. Cognition is how we think, how we puzzle out life, take it in, and analyze it. When you're depressed, everything is negative. Your view becomes universally pessimistic. And you may have trouble concentrating on anything, really, which only helps to support those negative thoughts about yourself. Here's where that sense of hopelessness can turn into thoughts of suicide, since you can't cognitively see any other way out of these feelings, and you're pretty convinced that they're going to last forever. A lack of clear thinking and an abundance of negative thoughts can lead to some of the motivational symptoms of depression, mainly the intense inability to drag oneself out of bed in the morning to face the world. If you do manage to get out of bed, then you might get stuck on hurdle number two, doing anything. That's right. A lack of motivation is a clear sign of depression. If you can't get the pep to do anything at all, let alone things you normally love to do, that's a pretty big red flag. Also note that this counts normal everyday behaviors like taking care of yourself, your appearance, and your hygiene. That's right. You might not find the motive to shower, shave, or make yourself look presentable to the outside world. And the best part? You won't care either. Next we have behavioral signs of depression. This is where the social withdrawal kicks in. No more time spent with family or friends. You don't want to be around anyone and, considering the way you may be acting or smelling if you've lost motivation in that area, no one wants to be around you either. You might also be prone to self-medicating with drugs or alcohol or even sex and spending money. Finally, there are physical symptoms because everything else just wasn't enough. Physically, you may suffer headaches, issues with digestion, loss of sleep, insomnia, or extreme oversleeping, hypersomnia, loss of appetite, or extreme overeating, and of course, general pains. Also note that in some cases of extreme depression, psychotic symptoms can become present. This includes delusions and hallucinations. There are different types of depression, though. Not everyone has Sylvia Plath-level despair. In my next uplifting installment, I'll discuss the kinds of unipolar depression and go over some of the causes of depression. And remember, if you notice any of these symptoms in yourself or someone you know, don't hesitate to seek help. Depression can prove deadly for some people who suffer from it. Take care of your mental health. Thank you. This has been Norton with a mental health report.
0: You're listening to The Core News on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. When The Core News returns, you'll find out what's going on at the Rutgers Zone, hear a little about comics and gaming, Rutgers activities, new music, and, of course, the entertainment rundown. Stay tuned. The Core News will be back right after this. This is The Core News on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. And now, let's find out what's going on at the Rutgers Zone this week, located right here in the Livingston Student Center.
1: Hi, I'm Lisa from the Rutgers Zone, and this is what's happening this week. On Wednesday, we have weekly trivia tournament at 9 o'clock p.m., Come in by 8.30 and register your team to enter to win an RU Express gift card. On Thursday, we have the Mardi Gras event from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Samples of the New Orleans traditional Kingscake live DJ and more. And then on Friday, we have Zone Late Nights sponsored by RHA, Livingston Residence Night. And please come out to enjoy free appetizers, sodas, and tournaments sponsored by Rutgers Recreation. You can check us out on RutgersZone.Rutgers.edu.
4: This is Nerdpocalypse with me, DJ Calamari of Squid Rock, bringing you the latest comic and video gaming news. In DC news, new information about the eagerly anticipated sequel to Batman Arkham Asylum Arkham City has surfaced. According to PC Gamer, Calendar Man has been revealed as a villain who will commit public holiday themed crimes depending on what day you play the game. Diehard fans of Batman should find this edition highly enjoyable. As for Marvel, the recent Fantastic Four number 588, which featured the death of Johnny Storm, a.k.a. the Human Torch, will go back to the press with a variant cover. While the issue was a turning point for the super-powered quad, the question still remains will Johnny Storm stay dead? In a world where every character has died countless times, this is highly unlikely. Finally, a teaser trailer for Ninja Gaiden 3 was released on February 28th. The short 30-second video shows the game to be as bloody and violent as the previous two installments. Fans of the series will definitely be pleased. Also, on March 8th, the sequel to the critically acclaimed Dragon Age Origins will be released. I'll be talking about their views it gets next week. This has been Nerdpocalypse with DJ Calamari. Stay tuned for some great core radio.
0: So, it's the middle of the semester. You have nothing to do. You have nowhere to go. It's gray and rainy. Well, don't let the weather get you down. Instead, go out into the world. Go forth and, uh, you know, join some of these fine activities happening right here at Rutgers.
5: This is the Food Science Club.
6: We explore the science of food itself. The chemistry, the biology, the processing and engineering. All of the food. MJ Driver at
5: Eden.Ruckers.edu. I'm the vice president. Well, this is Nighttime Productions. We're a movie-making club. So, you know, for anyone who's ever been interested in directing or editing or even writing their own sketches or short films, um, this is the club for them. We have our own video editing equipment, uh, even cameras, boom mics. And, uh, you know, we meet once a week. And Wednesdays at 9 o'clock in the basement of the student center, Um, And this is KTP, and uh, we love to see anyone who's interested in film. We're a Korean American magazine club. Uh, We pretty much talk about um, what happens around rockers and current issues in Asia, especially in Korea. And yeah, we have two sections, layout sections and um, article sections, and pretty much we design everything and we write about um, all the stuff. And We make um, magazines once a semester or like twice a semester. That's about it, yep.
3: Um, we're Diego, queer people of color, LGBT people of color. Well, basically, we're um, queer people of color. Everyone is welcome, every ethnic race, every um, gender, you know, wh- whatever you de- uh, identify yourself as, even if you don't even want to identify yourself, you know, we're all welcoming. You can be an ally, you can be, you know, a part of the community, any community. Just, you know, come out, we have a discussion, you know, we have events, um, we meet every Tuesday from... 8.30 to 9.30 at the Clack. We're basically a social event, uh, social slash political organization. Try to get as involved as possible. We're on Facebook, L-L-E-G-O, but it's you know, it says Lego, but it's pronounced Diego or Jego,
6: depending on you know how you pronounce it, how you see it. My name is Jose Fernandez. i the president of the Society of Hispanic Engineers. Uh, we're based on five pillars, which are professional development, community service, leadership development, chapter development, and academics and we do anything and any, everything and anything possible to help our members succeed while attending Rutgers University and after graduation.
1: Okay, we are the Rutgers University Seeing Eye Puppy Raising Club, and what we do is we raise dogs through the Seeing Eye with the goal of them being successful guide dogs. If you want to get in contact with us, you can just Google Rutgers University Seeing Eye Puppy Raising Club, and our link will pop up right there, and then that's our website. We also have a Facebook, cha- uh, Facebook page, again, and, like, if you just search among the groups, Rutgers University Seeing Eye Puppy Raising Club, you'll see a group. And then you can go on there, and both the website and the Facebook group have information about all our meeting times and what exactly we do in upcoming events.
4: It's Rutgers Club Baseball. I'm Tyler Daniel, the president. We're a competitive team to play some baseball after high school that, uh, you know, kids that aren't too interested in the D1 team. You can reach us at Rutgers.ClubBaseball at gmail.com.
0: You're listening to the Core News on ninety point three The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. Now, here's Justin Matric to let you know what's going on with music this week.
5: Phil Collins has announced that he will be retiring from the music industry. The former Genesis drummer and singer listed numerous health problems as the reasons for his decision. Collins also had a successful career as a solo artist. Interestingly, he also apologized for his success and large number of hit songs, noting that he understands why so many people would hate him. Collins became the lead singer of Genesis after original member Peter Gabriel left to start his solo career. The Flaming Lips said earlier this year that they planned on releasing several songs throughout the year in weird and unorthodox manners. They followed through with that promise this week, announcing that their next batch of songs will be released in April. What's so unique about this is how they will be released. The songs will be available on a USB flash drive that will be embedded in an edible human skull made out of gummy candy. The gummy skull will be life-size. A price for the candy songs has not been released yet. The Arctic Monkeys announced that they will be touring the United States throughout May. The tour includes stops in Philadelphia and New York City. Of Montreal will be releasing their new EP, The Controller Sphere, on April 26th. The five songs on the album were recorded at the same time as last year's album, False Priest. Also coming out on the twenty sixth is an art book of designs and prints from lead singer David Barnes. The art book will be called What's Weird? Now here are your ninety point three the core charts for the week of march first. Number ten was Fergus and Geronimo with their album Unlearn. Number nine was Delicate Steve with the album Wonder Visions. Number eight was Ventura Quizzing by Fujia and Miyagi. Number seven was Iron and Wine with Kiss Each Other Clean. Number six was Yuck with the album Yuck. Number five was Telekinesis with 12 Desperate Straight Lines. Number four was Three Arcade Dynamics by the band DuckTales. Number three was Mogwai with Hardcore Will Never Die But You Will. Number two was The Go Team with Rolling Blackouts. And number one for the fourth week in a row was The Decemberists with The King Is Dead. This has been Justin Magic with the 90.3 to the Core Music News.
4: Hey, this is Ricky from the band City of Rights from Australia. You're listening to the news
6: on 90.3 to the Core. This is the Sherman Tank with a special super long Academy Award edition of the Core Entertainment News. Well, last week was the week we'd all been waiting for, or at least some of us had been waiting for. The 83rd Annual Academy Awards were held last Saturday, the 27th of February, at the Kodak Theatre in Hollywood. The show was hosted by James Franco and Anne Hathaway and was broadcast on ABC. Now, I really don't want to go into the show itself, because there's nothing left to say that hasn't been said a million times by everyone else in the media, but, frankly, the show is atrocious. Over the last few years, the Academy's realized that young people, particularly young men, don't really care about, and therefore don't watch, the Oscars. To try to remedy this problem, they've been trying to make the Oscars cool, and at every turn it's failed miserably. First, they made the decision to increase the number of Best Picture nominees to 10 so that the annual Pixar movie and a couple of popular action movies can sneak their way in every year, despite the fact that they'll never win. I mean, as much as I really liked Inception, it was kind of weird watching the Best Picture nominee montage and seeing clips of Inception thrown in with clips from The Social Network and Black Swan and The King's Speech. One of those things is not like the others. I do have to give the Academy credit for cutting back on some of the garbage they tried to pull off last year in an attempt to seem hip and with it, like when they had an urban dance crew breakdancing to the nominees for Best Original Score. I will never, ever get over the sheer absurdity of that. Really, there was nothing quite like that this year. However, as I mentioned last fall when the hosts were first announced, James Franco and Anne Hathaway were chosen for two very specific reasons, and while they're both fantastic actors and I love both of them, the talent really has nothing to do with why they were chosen. Franco was selected because, prior to this year, he was most famous among teenagers being that guy from that, like, hilarious movie about weed. Anne Hathaway was chosen because every straight young man in America worships the ground she walks on. I haven't seen any articles breaking down the Oscar viewership this year yet, so I'm not sure if these tactics achieved the results the Academy was hoping for. However, it's safe to say that they didn't work on the stage. James Franco, the man who I personally thought should have won Best Actor this year for his role in 127 Hours, was a total dud as host. Many theorized that he was high on something during the show, and you could definitely tell something was up, but I think it's simpler than drugs. He just looked stiff and bored. Not all screen actors are suited for working on a stage in front of a live audience like that. All night, his delivery of lines was awkward, and he was standing there like he was waiting for the whole thing to be over. Anne Hathaway actually seemed perfectly fine. She's a very bubbly character and seems well-suited for hosting gig like that. However, she was dragged down by having to work with a co-host who looked like he wanted to go home, and having to recite the worst writing presumably in Oscar history. It was just bad. It was like somebody saw Ricky Gervais's incredibly offensive but hilarious hosting job at the Golden Globes a month ago, got scared of having the same thing happen at the Oscars, and wrote the safest and least offensive material they could possibly think of, and none of it was funny. Really, it all comes down to the fact that the Academy isn't cool in the way they're trying hard to be. I doubt that they can ever be that kind of cool. Watching last year's show and this year's show was like watching Grandpa dress up in baggy jeans, band t-shirts, and start talking about skateboarding. It's obviously not genuine, and frankly, it's embarrassing. The issue is that, in this metaphor, Grandpa thinks he needs to change to fit in, when really, he's already kind of cool in Grandpa kind of way. To keep things balanced out, I would like to mention some of the things the Academy did right. Having the legendary 94-year-old Kirk Douglas hobble out onto the stage to present an award was cute and genuinely funny. It was nice to see that the man is still totally with it, as he intentionally kept delaying the reading of the winner as part of his old man act. Yes, he's 94 years old, and he had to put on an old man act. Another thing I liked was the pairing of Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis when the two came out to present a couple of awards. Compared with the awful pairing of James Franco and Anne Hathaway, these two seemed perfectly natural together. They also ad-libbed a lot and were twice as funny as anything the host said all night. Finally, Steven Spielberg's presentation of the Best Picture Award was probably my favorite moment of the night. He came out from behind the stage and went right to business, reading a short speech about how the winner will join the ranks of On the Waterfront and The Deer Hunter, while the losers will join the ranks of Citizen Kane and Raging Bull. It was a nice moment, and coming from a guy like Spielberg, the sentiment seemed very genuine. The man is modern Hollywood royalty on a level with nobody else aside from Francis Ford Coppola and maybe a few others. Well, that pretty much wraps up the things I liked. Not a very long list. Okay, so I started the segment off by saying that I didn't want to go into the Oscar show itself too much, but I've already written two and a half pages about it. I just want to say one more thing before I start talking about the awards themselves. The Academy's clearly trying to do this tag team thing with their hosts, having had Alec Baldwin and Steve Martin do the show last year and Franco and Hathaway this year. Also, Hugh Jackman was easily the greatest Oscar host I remember seeing in my lifetime. The man has so much natural charisma on stage, it's incredible. So how about this idea, Academy? Next year, pair up Hugh Jackman and Anne Hathaway. They seem like they'd be a perfect match. If you can't make that happen, then at least give Robert Downey Jr. a call. Alright, let's move on to the actual awards. If you remember two weeks ago, I gave my award-winner predictions in place of doing my usual segment. I gave 11 predictions, and I don't want to brag or anything, but I got them all right. So either I really know how the Academy thinks, or the Academy is just way too predictable. I'm thinking probably more of the latter. So let's go through the categories one by one. I said that Black Swan should win Best Cinematography, but that Inception would win the award instead. I was right on both counts. The rotating hallway fight scene in Inception, where the camera seemed to miraculously move through the unstable space, was truly an incredible achievement, and the Academy voters clearly felt the same way. However, the camerawork work in Black Swan was simply unlike anything I'd ever seen before in my life. The idea of turning the camera into a sort of dancer first emerged in the short experimental films of Maya Darin in the mid-1940s, and gradually grew more sophisticated throughout the years in movies like The Red Shoes, finally reaching a crescendo in Black Swan. The camera spins and twirls and maintains an incredible sense of movement throughout the entire movie, dancing with Portman and her double in the mirror on the wall behind her, keeping perfect track of everything in the frame while remaining kinetic and exciting. At the end of the night, Black Swan losing this award is probably my biggest disappointment, but it was one I saw coming. Moving on, I predicted that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross would win Best Original Score for their work on the social network. I can't take too much credit for that prediction because it was pretty obvious that the social network score was the best and most fitting of the year, and it wasn't even really close. The score was very strange and dark and ambient and perfectly fit the mood director David Fincher established in the movie. Not since The Third Man has such a seemingly strange score been so absolutely integral to the tone of the movie it was in. Next up, I said that Pixar's Toy Story 3 would win Best Animated Feature. Well, of course it did. Has a Pixar movie ever lost this award? DreamWorks animated movies have won a couple of times, but I think those were the years where there were no new Pixar movies. I personally thought that French director Sylvain Chomay's enchanting movie The Illusionist should have won instead, but Pixar movies just don't lose in this category. Best Adapted Screenplay was also a no-brainer, with Aaron Sorkin winning for the social network. The dialogue in the movie was incomparably sharp and striking, and everything flowed like melted butter, but kind of darkish blue melted butter, because that's what the movie looked like. Best Original Screenplay was a little more controversial, but the correct decision was made. David Seidler's screenplay for The King's Speech rightfully won. Many people would argue that Christopher Nolan's screenplay for Inception should have won for telling such an original story in a deliciously convoluted and satisfying way, but the movie simply had way too many plot holes and jumps in logic for it to be considered the best writing of the year. Melissa Leo won Best Supporting Actress for The Fighter and proceeded to go up on stage and drop the F-bomb on live television. Leo, who's become somewhat infamous recently for buying her own ads in the paper to promote herself and generally being an ungrateful winner, was a favorite to win. But there was no more deserving candidate in that category than 14-year-old Haley Steinfeld. True Grit was her first ever movie, and she dominated it from beginning to end. Remember, this was a movie starring Jeff Bridges, Matt Damon, and Josh Brolin, yet a 14-year-old girl in her first legitimate role ever completely took the movie over. It's simply incredible. Steinfeld has a very, very bright future ahead of her in Hollywood. Best Supporting Actor was more of a no-brainer. Christian Bale took home the gold for his role in The Fighter. When I made my predictions, I originally said that Bale would win the award and deserved to win the award, but during the week I sort of changed my mind and began to cheer for Jeffrey Rush. I thought he was the glue that held the King's speech together, but that's not to suggest that Bale didn't deserve the award. Both men deserved it, but unfortunately only one could get it. Best Actress was just about the biggest lock of the night. Natalie Portman won it for her incredible work in Black Swan, which pretty much everybody saw coming from a mile away. However, I was a little nervous beforehand because something about this seemed familiar. The biggest Oscar snub I'd ever seen in my life came in 2008 when Mickey Rourke lost the Best Actor award to Sean Penn after giving the performance of a lifetime in the Darren Aronofsky-directed movie The Wrestler. This year, Natalie Portman gave the performance of a lifetime in the Darren Aronofsky-directed movie Black Swan. I thought Rourke had been a lock in 2008, and I thought Natalie Portman was a lock this year. Uh Uh-oh. Luckily, Portman did win the award. It still doesn't make up for the horrendous snub of Rourke in 2008, but it's a start. This year's Best Actor winner also seemed like a sure thing coming in, and, as expected, Colin Firth won for his portrayal of the stuttering King George VI in The King's Speech. I was personally pulling for James Franco, who did incredible work as the only real character in 127 hours, but again we have a situation here where two people truly deserve the award, but only one can get it in the end. Best Director was easily one of the biggest disappointments of the evening. I'm going to be frank and say that Tom Hooper did not deserve the award at all for his work on The King's Speech. It just wasn't a particularly well-directed movie, I'm just being honest here. David Fincher really should have walked away with this category by unanimous decision. He very well might have changed the current course of cinema with his revelatory direction of the social network. My disappointment continued into the final category where the King's Speech beat out the social network. The Academy loves inspirational movies and they also love British period pieces. That ended up being a lethal combination for the King's Speech. I could go on for hours about how the social network losing this award completely flies in the face of what the Academy is looking to accomplish because simply put, the social network is the coolest movie ever. It's a masterpiece of cinema that truly deserved the award, and it's also aimed directly at the young, adult, and teenage audience the Academy's been bending over backwards to impress. The King's Speech, while a very good movie, is pretty much cut from the same fabric as all the other relatively safe and inoffensive Best Picture winners of the past, and that fabric is starting to get a little dull. Anyway, that wraps up the 2010 awards season. The Sherman Tank will be back next week with yet another update of all the latest entertainment news.
0: That's all for this week's edition of The Core News. We will be back next Monday at 7pm, right here on 90.3 The Core. Or, you know, if you've accidentally planned a meeting during The Core News, oh no, well don't, don't worry, it's okay. You can actually ca- catch our podcast by going on the interwebs to thecore.fm. The Core News has been brought to you by The Sherman Tank. Justin Matchick, DJ Calamari, Norton, Nana, Sarah Morrison, Stephen Yannick, and Mindy Hoffman. If you've got any comments, any questions, any concerns, if you'd like to find out more about something and you want The Core News to look into it for you, or, you know, if you want to join The Core News team yourself, well, then you can send us some email to news at thecore.fm. And we'll get right on that. You've been listening to The Core News on 90.3 The Core. Stay tuned because more great core radio is on the way.